there's an interesting phenomena in life that I've noticed, and, uh, and probably many of you have. If you are younger and maybe in your first job, you haven't experienced this yet, but you will. So here it is. The goal of your financial um, desires, the goal line is always changing. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but let me, let me kind of play this out a little bit. So you get your first job, and if you're like me, excuse me. Uh, if you're like me, that first job, I think I was making, you know, five and a quarter an hour. Um, it was a few years back. But whatever it is, it's your first job. You're making minimum wage, eight, nine, ten, twelve dollars an hour. And you think, I've got it made. I've got it made. I mean, uh, I, I have money. I can go out and do anything I want with my friends. I can go out and eat, buy whatever $200 pair of sneakers I want to get. And you think you've got it made. Uh, and then this interesting thing happens. You decide to buy a car. With a car comes insurance, with a car comes gas, with a car comes maintenance. And all of a sudden, you're not quite as rich as you thought you were, but you graduate from high school or whatever the case might be, and you start working more hours, you get a pay raise, and all of a sudden, you go, I'm rich again. I got it made now. I've got no problems. And then you decide to do this foolish thing to go out and get an apartment. And, uh, and all of a sudden, you're not rich anymore, but then you get a pay raise, and all of a sudden, uh, you get a full-time job, a better-paying job. You're making $30,000 a year, and you think, now I can do anything I want. And then you meet him or her, and you say, let's get married. Let's have children. And then you never have money again. Uh, no. <laughs> And the goal line keeps moving. Whatever it is, you think you've got it made, but then life continues to move forward. But here's what I've learned. If you could go back in time and tell your 15-year-old self at your first job making minimum wage, hey, when you're however old that is, 70, 60, 50, you're going to be making this amount. Your 17-year-old self, your 15-year-old self would have thought, I will never have a financial worry in my life if I'm making that much money. But now you're making that much money, and what you think is, oh, if I just made a little bit more. Because the goal line of our, our, our how we identify wealth is always moving. And it can lead us to get into all kinds of problems and to become selfish uh, with the pursuit of stuff. And so what we talked about last week was God's financial philosophy. How do we guard against um, thinking that more stuff will bring us joy? That the, the stuff that we have defines our value. Because what we learned is that it won't. It doesn't define who we are. It doesn't bring us joy. The pursuit of stuff will actually cause us to become uh, less generous and it can drive us into debt. So here's what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kind of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Life doesn't consist in just the, the accumulation of stuff. And then from that statement, he goes on and tells this story. And we talked about it last week briefly, but he basically talks about a guy who had a lot of land and he was a farmer and his, and his land produced a huge increase and he had a lot of stuff. So he planted more and got more and planted more and got more and built big barns to store all the stuff that he had. And he had all this stuff and it was really like awesome. But then God shows up and says, Hey, guess what? You're going to die. And when you die, who's going to get all your stuff? 
You've been foolish. You've been a fool because you've just been about accumulating stuff. And at the end of that story, that parable that Jesus shares, he makes this statement. He says, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Listen, the issue was not the man's wealth. Having money, having resources, if you're a business owner and you are making um, a huge profit and you're employing people, if you uh, have been blessed and you have uh, financial wherewithal, having stuff, having wealth, having huge wealth is not an issue in God's eyes. It's what you do, or in this case, what you do not do with your stuff, that's the problem. The problem wasn't his stuff, it's what he did with his stuff, or really what he didn't do with his stuff, he wasn't generous. He wasn't rich towards God. And the Bible time and time and time and time again warns against that because selfishness runs counter to the heart of our Heavenly Father. Listen, it doesn't take stuff out of the equation. You know this and I know this. Selfishness destroys life. It takes the, the joy, the richness, the depth out of you. It erodes life. Think about it. If you're married, selfishness in your marriage will eradicate, will destroy the joy, the intimacy in your marriage. If you're selfish with your talents, the things that God's blessed you with, all of a sudden your talent becomes less appealing to people. If you're selfish with your time, what happens? You end up lonely. If you're selfish with your heart, you end up isolated. If you're selfish with your emotions, and, you're, and, and sharing your feelings. I meet men all the time. I don't, I don't have feelings. I don't know how to share my feelings. It's, if you're selfish with that, you end up, ask your spouse if you're married, you end up disconnected. If you're selfish with um, your stuff, your possessions, you end up losing the joy with what you have. Selfishness destroys life. I'm telling you, if you're, if you're married... What you need to do is learn to be generous. See, the best way to overcome selfishness is to practice generosity. I'll be married 30, uh, 29 years this year. Uh, it feels like 30. Uh, it feels like three. Um, it'll, be, it'll be 29 years this year. And, uh, and one thing I wish I had done better early on was to be more generous with my praise of my wife, Jamie. Just, just lavish praise on your spouse. They don't deserve it. Well, You know, you chose them. Praise them. Praise your kids. Don't be stingy with those kind of things. Be gracious. Be be generous with your time. Be generous with your talents. Share your feelings. Share your emotions. The antidote to selfishness is generosity. Be generous with your praise, with your words. Share your life with other people because selfishness destroys life. It eradicates and takes away the fullness that God wants for your life and for my life. Now, when it comes to stuff, when it comes to possessions, when it comes to finances, and when it comes to wealth, generosity begins by putting God first. It always begins by putting God first in your finances. You say, I can be generous. I can help people. All those things are fine and good, but generosity in your finances begins by putting God first in your finances. That's why Jesus tells the parable, and at the end, he says, this is how it is for anyone who accumulates stuff, who generates stuff, who hoards stuff, who accumulates all this stuff, has great wealth, but they're not generous towards the poor. They're not generous 
by helping their family. They're not generous in supporting that charity. No, he doesn't say any of that stuff. He says they're not generous toward God. They're not rich to God. So that's where generosity has to begin, by putting God first in your finances. So I want to talk about a, a principle in the Bible. And some people won't like this, but you know, I've actually had people ask me, what kind of church are you? And I said, what do you mean by that? They said, are you a tithing church? I said, what do you mean by that? Well, do you teach that people are supposed to tithe? I said, no, I teach that people are supposed to follow the Bible. Uh, if, if tithing's in the Bible, then I guess they should, but we don't like have a scanner at the door that says, tither, welcome, non-tither, go away. We're not a tithing church, we're a biblical church. And tithing is a principle that's found in the Bible. So I want to talk about tithing today. Now, maybe you've never heard the word tithe. You don't even know what it means. You hear the MC get up and they say, we're, we're going to receive our tithes and offerings. And you go, I don't really know what they're talking about. They pass a basket around. So I want to talk about tithing this morning and help you understand what that means. So tithing means 10%. It means 10. It means a tenth, actually. It, doesn't, it means a tenth. And so tithing is this idea that we're supposed to give back to God a percentage of what he's blessed us with. Now, there are those people who would say, well, that's well and good, but the, the tithe is um, under the law. It was the Old Testament law. We're no, no longer under the law. We're under grace. So we no longer have to tithe. Well, let me give you an illustration and see if this makes sense to you. Uh, so if I decide that I don't like you and I pull out, uh, actually better yet, I just call one of the security guys over and I say, take, take this person out. Just, just kill them. You would say, you can't kill me. I'd say, why not? That's under the law. We're under grace. The law says thou shalt not kill. You'd say that's ridiculous, right? Because the idea of thou shalt not kill is a principle that reveals God's value of human life. It's not that we can disregard something because it's mentioned in the law. It's that we have to understand the principle that it's teaching. So the, the idea of the tithe is a biblical principle. What it's teaching us is a number of things. First of all, it's that we are stewards of what God's given to us. We're not owners. Secondarily, it teaches us that we can trust God. We can be dependent on him. It, re it represents our devotion to him. And beyond that, the whole idea of tithing, 10% of your income back to God, being rich to God, is not just found in the law. Indeed, it is found 500 years before the law. And I can make the argument that it is found even thousands of years before that. In Genesis chapter 2, you remember the story, and if you don't, let me give you the idea. God created everything and then created a man, and he said, uh, I'm going to place you in this garden. And he says to Adam and Eve, everything in the garden, it's all yours, except this one thing. This one thing is set apart. This one thing is reserved for God. And what is it to define what's right from wrong, what's good from evil? It's not yours to decide. It's not yours to delineate. It's not mankind's right to say this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad. God and God alone is the one who determines good from evil. So you can eat anything you want, but this one little thing right here is the first fruits that belong to God. So the idea of tithing is found even way back then. But then in the life of Abram, known as Abraham, the father of our faith. Uh, he returns from the battle of the ten kings. He's got this great victory, and he tithes 
10% to Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of peace, the prince of righteousness. He tithes 10% to him. You can read that story in Genesis. Later on in Genesis, about 100 years later, his grandson Jacob makes this statement about tithing. I think it's so powerful because it, it reveals to us the principle that underlies what the Bible teaches about tithing, why it's so important. So here it is in Genesis chapter 28. Then Jacob made a vow. So Jacob, again, is Abram's great, uh, grandson. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, if he will watch over me on this journey, the journey that I'm taking, and if he will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, and that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my guide. And this stone I have set up will be a pillar to the house of the Lord. and became known as Bethel, the house of God. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Jacob says, I am going to give 10%. I'm going to be rich to God, not because of law. There is no law. I'm doing it out of relationship, out of devotion, out of my dependency, out of declaring God is the one who has provided all this for me. He's watched over me. He's my God. And my dedication and commitment to him is what's going to drive me to be rich towards him. I'm going to give 10% back, not because anybody's watching saying I have to, but because I want to. So for my wife, Jamie, and I, we have been on this adventure in tithing uh, since we've been married. And it actually, I started tithing my very first paycheck when I was working at a little neighborhood video store when I was 15 years old. I always have given 10% back to God. Why? Because I wanted to honor God with everything in my life. And there are times in those years since then when it was hard. We used to write checks. I don't know if anyone writes checks anymore. I don't. Uh, I, I opened a new bank account, and I realized I've had this bank account for three years. I don't own any checks. What would I do if I had to write a check? Uh, but we used to, sometimes it used to be hard to write that check. I mean, finances were piling up, and I'm thinking, how am I going to pay my bills? But I said, no, God, I want to invite you into my finances. I want to honor you with my entire life. And I would write that tithe check and give it, and God has always honored that and bless that. So we, we tithe because of our devotion and our de dedication to Jesus. Jesus, you, you are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our leader. And I will give this back to you. I want to be rich toward you. Now in Malachi, there's this uh, teaching on uh, tithing. It's Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And this is what it's, I'm not going to read all of it, but this is one portion of it. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Test me in this. Everyone say, test me. Okay, th that, we're going to come back to that because it is a huge statement. Test me in this and see if the Lord Almighty, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out onto you such a blessing that there will be not room enough to store it. So, um, test me. I want to I just touch on that. It's not really the, the whole point here, but it's important. Why in the world would God say, test me? I mean, think about that. Jesus said, you shall not test the Lord your God. But God says, in this one area, you can test me. So as I said earlier, the word tithe means tenth. It means 10%. In, throughout the Bible, the number 10 represents testing. Think, okay, how many plagues were sent against the Egyptians? Ten. How many commandments were given to test the people of Israel? Would they follow God's 
commandments. There's ten commandments. How many times were the people of Israel tested in the wilderness? It's Ten, yes. How many of the spies that were sent out came back, of the twelve spies, how many came back with a negative report to test the people of Israel? Would they trust human wisdom or God's provision? Ten. You guys are getting it. How many days was Daniel tested when he fasted uh, to see if he could maintain the, the that dietary Hebrew uh, uh, rules? He was tested for 10 days. How many times were Jacob's wages changed by his father-in-law to test his faithfulness? How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. Yes, it was a trick question. <laughs> How many bridesmaids, and Jesus tells a parable, how many bridesmaids were tested to see if they would be prepared for when the groom returned? Ten. Ten represents testing. So when God says, test me in this, he's saying, listen, ten represents testing. You can test me in this, see if I'll be faithful, but in you testing me, I'm also testing you. Will you trust me? Will you walk in devotion to me? Will you be committed to me? Will you walk in obedience? Will you be dependent upon me. So God says, I want to test you in this thing. I want to test you. Now, it's interesting, right? What is the very first word in that verse that we read? It says, bring, bring the tithe to the storehouse. It doesn't say give your tithe. It says bring your tithe because it's reminding us of something. You can't give what, does, what, what doesn't belong to you. The tithe doesn't belong to you. You bring it, you, you're returning it to God. God, this belongs to you. It's not mine. So whether you tithe or not, whether you've, if you're a follower of Jesus, whether you've ever tithed or not, that first 10% of your increase belongs to God. If you don't give it to God, it's why earlier in Malachi, God says, you're robbing me. You're stealing from me. You're taking something that doesn't belong to you, and you're spending it on yourself. And what is it that you're spending on yourself? The tithe, because the tithe belongs to me. It's not yours to do with what you want. So you don't give your tithe. You bring your tithe. You bring it to God and say, I'm giving this back to you. God, I'm doing this because I trust you. I'm dependent upon you. I'm devoted to you. You are my source. You're my provider. And you are the provision of my life. I trust you with this. That's why in Leviticus it says this. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, a tithe of everything belongs to the Lord, and it's holy to the Lord. The tithe belongs to God. Now, the word tithe, it doesn't just mean 10%. It comes from a Hebrew word, ma'aser, and that word doesn't just carry with it the idea of tenth or 10%. It carries with it the idea of the first tenth, the very first tenth of your increase. See, order matters. Putting God first matters. You can't put God first in your finances if something else is first. Listen, there are great things that you ought to use your money and your wealth and your finances for. I'm not against these things. But if your retirement comes first, then God isn't first. If your investments come first, God isn't first. If giving to your favorite charity is first, then God isn't first. If helping your extended family comes first, then God isn't first. If your vacation homes, your second homes come first, then God isn't 
first. And God says, I want you to put me first in your finances. Because when you put me first in your finances, you are declaring something. That God, no matter what, I am committed to you. If the finances of my life are upside down and I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills, you're still first in my life. And I will write that check. I will give that tithe. I will bring it back to you. I will return to you what is yours. It's why God, God says, I want, you to, I want to come first in your life, in everything. It's why we meet on the first day of the week to gather together, to be with God's family, to honor him, to worship him, to praise him, to learn about him. God wants to be first in our lives. It's why Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians. On the first day of every week, each one of you should put something aside in proportion to his prosperity, a percentage of your increase. And save it so that no collections will have to be made when I come. Set it. Don't, don't say, oh yeah, I'm going to give when the time comes and you're not putting me first. You're putting me second and then you'll scramble and say, what do I have left over that I can give to God? And Paul's saying, no, be ready, be prepared, set it aside, do it first. Some people say, well, it just says percentage. It says a proportion. It doesn't say 10%. So I guess I don't have to tithe. <laughs> well, again, the law demands certain things. Grace is different. Jesus said, the law says, you shall not kill. Grace says, don't even hate. Grace always wants us to be higher. The law says, don't commit adultery. Grace says, don't entertain lustful thoughts in your heart. The law says, give 10%. Grace says, I want to give everyone. Why do you think Jesus said to the rich young ruler who came to him and said, what must I do, Lord, to inherit eternal life? And he asked him some questions, and he says, you've answered wisely. Take everything you have, sell it, give it to the poor, and follow me. Grace says, I want to give higher. I want to give fuller. I want to give more. So when we put God first in our finances, it says, this is the highest priority with my stuff. There's other good things. You ought, to, you ought to do those things, but this comes first. And when you begin to put God first in your finances, two things that you're going to see that happen. First is this. Putting God first in your finances helps you live in light of eternity. We so often live for the temporal, for the fleeting, because we think okay, what we say is we believe that this life is temporary and eternity is what matters. But we can think certain things, but in practice, it's completely different. Pastor Andy talked about this in, in your relationship with your spouse, right? We, we, I'm saying this, but I'm practicing this. And so we practice that the temporary is more important. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Don't live for the temporary, you have to have a different point of view. As a follower of me, I want you to think different. Do not, but store up instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Have an eternal perspective where malls and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. You can live for the temporary or you can live for the eternal. Living for the eternal says, I want to invest my time, my treasure, my talent, everything that God's given me for something that will last beyond me. Um, right, we, we just prayed for a mission team, right? They're going to Thailand. The currency in Thailand is Thai bot, B-A-T, bot. Um, you, you, if, if one of these people on the mission team spend the next 
week and a half in Thailand, going around, gathering up all the Thai bot they can hang, and they get a whole stack of it, and they bring it back to the U.S. You know what good it's going to do them? They go to the store, they go to Walmart, they go to Amity to get coffee, and they say, I got 10 Thai bot. <laughs> you can't spend that. That's got no value here. It's got no value. So often we spend our life accumulating stuff, and then we get to heaven, and God says, that has no value here. Store up for yourself stuff that has eternal value. Live in light of eternity. So when it comes, every day, every day you wake up, you have a choice to make with what God, to do with what God's given you. So you, you spend your day watching, binge watching, watching shows, watching television. There's nothing wrong with watching shows and binge watching. You should do that. Have fun. Enjoy those things. But if that's all you do, I mean, I don't know how many hours a week you spend binge watching, but do you spend the same hours in prayer? On your knees, crying out to God for your marriage, for your children, for your boss who's not saved, for revival. You say, why isn't my marriage changing? Because you're watching TV. Why, isn't, why aren't my kids on fire for the things of God? Because you're squandering your time. When you when the same amount of time invested differently, one has an eternal value and one only has value here and now you have influence, right? You got followers, you're on social media, and you could spend your influence trying to build your brand, build your name, build a following. Nothing wrong with that. It's a way to have finances and to make a living, and I have no problem with that. But do you spend the same amount of influence trying to promote the name above every name, the Lord and Savior of your life, Jesus Christ? Well, that might cost me followers. Yep, it might cost you a lot. The same amount of influence being spent. One has an eternal value. One only has value here. When it comes to your stuff, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your tithe, that first amount, that, uh, that 10% that you set aside for God, you can spend it on a dream vacation, a vacation home, a second home. You could spend it on all kinds of things. You could give it away to friends and family and do all kinds of stuff with it. Or you can say, I'm going to give it back to God. I'm going to help fund the vision and the mission of Hickory Ridge Church because this is the storehouse where I come when I have a need. And all of a sudden, someone comes, they're invited, they join a group, and they have radical life change because you helped fund the vision and the mission of the church. And their life has changed, and their marriage has changed, and their family has changed, and their children are changed, and their entire eternity has changed. One is living for the temporal joy of a vacation. One says, I'm going to put God first in my finances. One has value here, but has no value there. One has value in eternity. Where are you going to invest? Are you going to live in light of eternity? I know of a couple. I think this is phenomenal. I'm considering doing it myself. But uh, they had three kids. And, and they were, they had, uh, you know, they, they, they weren't rich. But they had decent you know, financial wherewithal. And as they were getting older, they said, we're going to rewrite our will. And we're going to name not only our three children as our beneficiaries, but we're going to name our church as a fourth beneficiary and split everything 25, 25, 25, all the way across, 25%. And someone said, why are you doing that? And this is what they said, and I love this. They said, if we can leverage what God has blessed us with, to reach one more person for Christ, then we are growing God's family. And God's family is our family. They weren't saying our kids aren't going to get anything. They said what our eternity is as valuable as the here and now. 
It's actually more valuable because what is the here and now gets left in the here and now. But the eternal is never ending. So if the church is part of our family, part of our lives, if God's family is part of our lives, and we want to invest in the eternal. So when you begin to put God first in your finances, you're saying, I want to live with an eternal point of view. I want to live in light of eternity. The second thing is this. Putting God first in your finances helps you grow spiritually. This is so, so, so very important. There are people who are convinced that the church just... uh, somehow or other, takes the idea of tithe and twists it all around and uses it to just get money from people. That's why the church teaches tithing. Like I said earlier, we teach tithing because it's in the Bible. We don't teach it because, you know, we're trying to get something from you. But I am convinced that what happens when we tithe is that we begin to grow spiritually. It's declaring our dependence on God, our trust in him. We're saying, God, you are coming first in my life. And for some of you, you might not like this, you might not believe it, but I'm telling you it's true. Some of you are not growing spiritually and you will not grow spiritually. You're going to stay stuck where you are until you get to the point where you'll take this, whatever this represents to you, and say, God, I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to place you first in my finances. Why do I say that? Right? Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth. It's all going to be temporary. Store up treasure in heaven that's going to last forever. Live with the light of eternity. Then he ends with this statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your heart always follows your finances. Always, 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 always. You say, I don't feel like I'm as close to God as I want. One of the things you need to ask yourself is, where is God in my finances? If he's first in your finances, then wonderful. If he's not, that could be a very thing that's holding you back from all that you want to experience in your relationship with God. Because our hearts follow our finances. Our hearts follow our finances. You can think about it like this. Following Christ wholeheartedly only happens when you let go of what you're holding on to. I won't tithe. You can't make me. You're right. I can't make you. You can't tithe. I won't tithe. Okay. We, we said last week, everything is permissible. You can do anything you want, but not everything is beneficial. God's not going to beat you up and make you tithe. But you say, my relationship isn't where I want it to be. Are you putting God first in your finances? Imagine, imagine like Valentine's Day is coming. I love... Queen's heart-shaped potato. If I can get that and give it to my wife for Valentine's Day, it would not go very far. No, but Valentine's Day is coming, and if you walk through Walmart or you see these heart-shaped balloons, right? So imagine that your wallet, your money, your stuff, your finances, your bank, whatever it is, is attached to a string on a heart-shaped balloon. As long as you're holding on to your stuff, your heart is tied to you. But if you're willing to give your stuff to God, that balloon goes away. It goes up. It goes closer to God. But it means you have to let go of your stuff. The more you will hold on to your stuff, the more your heart will stay close to you. The more you release your stuff, let go of your stuff, and trust God with your stuff, the more your heart draws closer to him. 
So what do we need to do? We need to get to the point where we realize our stuff is often what holds us back. In Matthew 21, there's a, a phenomenal story that Jesus um, has in his life. He's getting ready to go into Jerusalem, it's, uh, uh, nearing the last week of his life. And he tells some of his followers, he says, hey, go to this village up along the way. And there you're going to see a, a, a donkey and her colt tied up. And I need you to go get it. Go get it, untie it, and bring them to me. If somebody stops you while you're taking this, this donkey and her colt, and they say, what are you doing? He told them to say this. Tell them the Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of it. Now let's just think about that statement for a second. In what universe does the God who spoke everything into existence need anything from anyone? Did, did Jesus need the five loaves and the few fish in order to feed the multitude? Did, did Jesus need a tomb borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea in order to have somewhere to be buried when he was crucified so that he could have the resurrection and if like Joseph didn't give the tomb, the resurrection would have never happened? Did Jesus need his disciples to push the boat out into the water so he could stand and give a teaching? I mean, he could have walked on the water. Did Jesus really need a donkey and her colt? Of course not. Jesus didn't need that. What Jesus was doing was he was inviting those people to be part of his story. When God says, I want you to give, I want you to put me first in your finances, he's inviting you into his story. See, God is not demanding that you give something. He's inviting you to join something. Why is it that God asks us to be part of his mission here on earth? To reach people for the gospel. To help heal broken hearts. To help to extend forgiveness and grace and mercy. To be those who will model selfishness, caring for the widows and the orphans and the, those that are defenseless. Those that are, that are the least among us. Why does Jesus ask us to be part of it? Does he need us to? No, he's inviting us to be part of something. And every time we respond to what he asks, we're accepting that invitation. Every time that you say, God, I'll serve the children and the students here at Hickory Ridge, you're accepting that invitation. Every time you go on a missions trip, you're accepting that invitation. Anytime you pray for someone, you pray with someone, whether it's here on a Sunday, whether it's at your home, in the parking lot, at Walmart, every time you stop and pray and cry out to God to do something in someone's heart and in someone's life, you're accepting that invitation. Every time you use your time, your gifts, your talents to serve others, you're accepting that invitation. And every time, every time, every time you bring your tithe and give it to God and put him first in your finances, you're accepting that invitation. See, the whole point of this series, and it's just a short little series, two weeks, it's the whole idea of freedom, that you are free from chasing after the accumulation of more and more stuff and you're free to be generous. You're free from thinking that stuff will define your value and you can be free to be who you are in Christ. You are free to accept that invitation and say, God, I will place you first in my finances. God doesn't need us to, but he's inviting us to. 
Heavenly Father, I ask you right now, by your Holy Spirit, would you begin to move in our hearts and in our lives? God, would you give us the courage to accept your invitation to join you in this great journey of changing people's lives here on earth and helping to shape eternity? God, help us to live with that eternal view. Help us to have the courage to place you first in our finances. Right now, right where you are, I just want you to think of everything that God has placed into your hands, your resources, your time, your talents, everything that he's given you, everything that every day you make a choice with what you're going to do with, your family, your marriage, your children. Every dollar that comes into your hand, every paycheck, think about all those things. And if you would say, God, if you asked me to, if you asked me to, I'd give it all. I'd give it all in order to make a difference, an eternal difference. If you would have the courage to say that just as an act of, of surrender, just raise your hand right where you are. Just raise your hand. Say, God, I, I'll give whatever you ask. Any of it, all of it, some of it. I don't want to hold anything back. I want to accept that invitation. You could slide your hand down. But there's some of you who just the whole idea of tithing, giving a percentage, 10% or more, every time you get paid back to the local church, giving it to God. You you say, I I don't know if I can do that. I I don't know if I want to do that. I'm struggling with that. The idea of putting him first in my finances, that's a big step for me. And I've got all kinds of reasons and justifications and rationales of why I can't, why I shouldn't, why I don't have to, why that's not for me, why that doesn't apply to me. I've got all those reasons. But you know right now that God's nudging you. Will you accept the invitation? Will you place me first in your finances? Will you take that step of obedience, of trust, of devotion, of dedication? And will you see what that will do? You'd say, I'm wrestling with that, but I want to do that. I I want to be able to take that step. Then right now where you are, just as an act of surrender, just as an act of obedience, just as a moment of honesty, just raise your hand and say, I I want to, but I know it's going to be hard. I want to, but I don't know if I want to. I need to, but I don't know if I can. Just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I ask right now that you would move in a powerful way by your Holy Spirit. Those who say, I'll leverage everything for you. God, would they be willing not just to raise a hand, but God, then to do, to move, to respond how you lead. And God, for those who raised their hand and said, I want to start this journey of tithing. I want to put you first in my finances like I never have before. Oh God, I pray that this wouldn't just be a moment where they feel an emotional response, but God, it would be your Holy Spirit. And in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, that they would consistently bring back to you what belongs to you. They would honor you with the tithe that's set apart and holy. And God, as they do that, as they test you, and they pass the test themselves, God, would you, as you promised, open the floodgates of heaven. Would you pour out blessing upon blessing upon blessing into their lives, into their marriages, their families, their businesses. God, everything that they set their hand to, would they see success? And would they be able to trace it back to this moment when they stepped out in obedience, placed you first in their finances, and trusted you like never before? 
God, I'm asking you for it. I'm believing you for it. I'm thanking you for it in advance. In the wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen, amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. Let's worship God together.